Listen then as I read from 1 Peter chapter 2. You're reading verses 4 through 8. You can find that on page 1391 in your pew Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 4. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. Well, Peter calls Jesus a living stone, and then he calls you as the church living stones as well. And you just have to stop and ask, what in the world is a living stone? I can remember pet rocks, and if you don't know what that is, you need to ask your parents. They can tell you a little bit more about pet rocks. You can see some smiling. They know what they are. You can talk about them over lunch today as well. But, but living stones? Well, Peter uses this as an analogy to help us to understand Jesus and who we are as the church connected to Jesus. And it's the analogy of, of building up a house. You can see it even here in, uh, in this uh, in this sanctuary, you can see the blocks faintly outlined here on the walls by the lines of the mortar. And each of those rectangles is a stone that is built up to make this building. So Jesus, or excuse me, Peter uses this to help us to understand because We are being built up in Christ, just like stones being built up to make a building. But we are not dead stones, and neither is our Savior a dead Savior. He is living, and we are living. And we, as living stones, are being built up on the living stone, Jesus Christ. I want to start today by concentrating on Jesus as the rock of our salvation, because that's where Peter begins. He says, we come to Christ, the living stone. Jesus himself had used the analogy of stones too. He had called Peter the rock. He had given him a new name. You might remember that his given name was Simon, but when Simon confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, that Jesus said of him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, 
but my Father who is in heaven. I may also say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So Peter knew what this analogy was about. It knew that there was one true foundation for faith. And Peter was not that foundation. Jesus was the foundation. And Jesus calls attention to what Peter said about Jesus. You are the Christ. And his confession, that confession of the apostles and and the prophets, are built upon Jesus as the chief cornerstone. And he is a living stone. And really, what a juxtaposition to put something that we know as dead with the adjective of living. What Peter does is he takes all of the good things about a stone and he pairs them with the fact that Jesus is a living person. Those good things are the fact that we can think of of strength, of stability, of a firm foundation, of protection, and pair that with a living person, someone who is, is warm and who is knowable, who is present to us, who is approachable. He reveals himself to us. And you see how this sets Jesus apart from the false idols all throughout history, really. We're not as familiar today with the idea of, uh, of setting up a statue and praying to it. It happens still some places in the world. Our idols are, are much more subtle, but there were literal statues in Peter's day, statues that people made. They, and as I said, they would carve them with eyes and ears and mouths and noses. But they couldn't see or hear or speak because they're not alive. But Jesus is alive. He is the living stone. He can see. He can speak. He can, he can save because he is full of life and strength. And we're going to see that those who make them become like them. Those who are like, who make false gods become like them, deaf, dumb, unable to be saved. But we in Christ are built up upon Jesus as a living stone. As you think about Jesus being that living stone, think about how he is strong to save. Think about how he is living to hear and to respond to you personally. And to us as a congregation, we can come to him and plead our cause because he is alive. The church rests on him. Peter goes on and says that Jesus is a living stone that has been rejected by men. Here, Peter has Psalm 118 and these other scriptures that he's quoting later. He has these scriptures running in his mind. In the Old Testament, the prophets foretold what would happen to Jesus. He, the Messiah, would come as he has, that he would come to bring salvation to all who put their faith in him. 
but many would reject him. Now, that rejection doesn't change Jesus' power and doesn't change his plan. It doesn't change his ability to save because he rules over all things. He has indeed carried out that plan of salvation perfectly. But in coming to this world, he came to a people living in darkness, a people who loved their sins more than they loved the light. And so they rejected Jesus. And there is a cost to that rejection. In this case, the cost has to do with the fact that those who rejected Jesus are also rejected by him. And we'll see this in a little bit, but think about the cost of discipleship. Think about the cost of coming to him. And it presses upon us to think about our motives for coming to Jesus Christ. Are you coming to him in need of that salvation? Or are you coming because you think that that you can gain some advantage by being connected to Jesus? Think of those who were who, who were amongst that crowd of the 5,000 who were fed. And they came, they sought after Jesus because they wanted more bread. They weren't coming to him because they wanted salvation. They weren't coming to, them, to him because they wanted a savior. The cost of discipleship is to ask, are you coming because you think it will be of personal gain to you? Or that you think that... Because you're a Christian, you can get whatever you want, more money or power or prestige. And I say that because there's a growing group among the broader church that teach that all you have to do is to declare what you want in Jesus' name, and you'll have it. But Jesus was rejected by men. Those who received Peter's letter would take comfort in this because they were suffering the very same persecution. They understand the cost. Could it be that this generation or the next generation will experience the very same type of rejection? If so, you can take comfort that they rejected Jesus before you. Jesus himself, uh, in fact, said this very thing. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are connected to Jesus. And we become like him. As the world hated Jesus, so the world hates the church. But greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. Well, men rejected Jesus, but Jesus was chosen by God. Once more, Peter gives us a glimpse of the eternal perspective that God has even before he created the world. And from 
from the foundation of the world, the triune God covenanted together to accomplish salvation. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bound themselves together in this plan of redemption that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, would be the one who would save us from our sins, the one who would obey for us, the one who would lay down his life for us. And to all eternity future, Jesus stands at the right hand of the Father on high. He stands there mediating for us. And he stands at your right hand so that you shall not be moved. This living stone is your Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the chosen one of God, the chosen Savior. And in him you have redemption. We as a church are connected to that, vitally connected. In fact, I hope that every week as you come to church that you would meditate on this bond of love that God has established with you. Jesus has been chosen by God, a chosen champion to rescue you from Satan. Come to church knowing that you too are chosen. And finally, Jesus is precious to God. This is what the Father said of the Son. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit confirmed this, descending upon him in the form of a dove, anointing him for the task of redemption. When you look at Jesus, are you really surprised that the Father would love his Son? Well, we shouldn't be. Jesus is the righteous one. Jesus is is without spot and blemish. He is our beautiful Savior. It's no wonder that the Father loves the Son. What might be surprising is that God loves you. But he does. I say it might be surprising because I know very well about myself, and I and you know very well about yourself. We wrestle with sin every day. We waver in our faith. We are prone to wander day in and day out. But you are Precious to God because Jesus is precious to God. When you come to church, come eager to hear that. Come eager to be in the presence of our Savior who is precious to God and to know that because of Jesus that you are precious too. So in summary, Jesus is the rock of salvation. He's a living stone, rejected by men, chosen by God, and precious to him. What Peter does next is to hold out Jesus in a way that invites you to believe in him and also warns you of the consequences of rejecting him. So I want to turn to that. I want you to recognize the invitation and the warning that Peter gives. And we'll start with the invitation. This is to you who believe. To you who I would urge to believe if you are hearing this and 
have not come to Christ. This is the invitation that God makes you into living stones. Catch the significance here. Peter calls you the same thing as he calls Jesus. He calls you living stones. Now remember that Jesus is uniquely the Son of God. You do not become gods like like Jesus. He is unique in this way. He alone is the rock of salvation. But by faith, by believing in Jesus Christ, you are united to Christ and united in such a vital way that your identity becomes wrapped up in Jesus. He is the living stone, and you are now living stones, new creations, because you are connected to Jesus. Because of this, all of those other things that Peter said about Jesus can be said about you. And I've been hinting at this all the way along through this. You are holy to him. You are distinct from the world. And because distinct, the the world rejects the church. But God has chosen you, and you are precious to God because of him. Now just think of those who first got this letter from Peter. They were suffering the direct persecution of the world. They were literally laying down their lives and being hunted because of their belonging to Jesus Christ. Peter wrote to them and told them that they were united to Christ, that they were living stones and therefore chosen and precious as well. It would help them to understand the rejection that they were facing. Wasn't that the same thing that we need to hear today? We are living in a world of woe, a world that does not understand the Savior Jesus Christ, who are opposed to him, who have rejected him, and have rejected the church as well. You too need to understand that you are built up upon Jesus Christ. Here, just think again of, of, the, uh, of the very useful analogy that Peter, Peter gives to us. And I'll point out the walls again of our sanctuary. You can see the individual blocks, but that, that those seams uh, are ones that you can make, make, uh, make apparent that there are individual blocks. But while each block is distinct, what is, what is beautiful is what it makes when it's all drawn together. It makes something that is, is cohesive because of our union with Christ and a union then that unites us together as believers. This is a very profound aspect of the church. We are indeed united to Christ and united to each other. Now, we have become very acquainted with the, uh, uh, with the idea of isolation these days. 
coming out of the pandemic, there's a sense of aloneness. And our practice with our social media tends to, uh, tends to make us uh, be apart. You know, you can, uh, you can sit as a family around a table and be alone, each one submerged in their own smart device. So we are aware of this idea of isolation. And there's an epidemic of loneliness, what Peter says is that we have come to the living stone and are being built up together as living stones into a spiritual house. And this is where Peter draws your attention to the union and the unity of the body of Christ. This is not a new theme for Peter. He is He's been talking about the importance of loving each other, of brotherly love, and he's pointed out the sins that did make cracks in that unity. But here he gets at that deep, profound theology that since you are united to Christ, you are also united together. And there's an important truth there that is also one that Uh, that is important today. Like many devotionals have pointed out, many commentators have pointed out, that people want Christ, but want nothing to do with his church. They want Christ, but they want nothing to do with the visible body of Christ. Now, there are reasons for that, and we've begun to, uh, to think through some of those reasons. There are lots of times that we sin against each other. If you look around this room, and you'll find people that are hard to live with. That's each and every one of us. Because we are still sinners. Redeemed by Christ, but still sinners. But because we are hard to live with does not mean that Christ has not loved us. And it does not mean that Christ has not drawn us together into a spiritual house. Living stones united to him and united together. If we love Christ... We must love his church as well. As difficult as that is, it is made possible because of the union we have with Christ. Because of the forgiveness that we each enjoy and need and cry out for. We belong to Christ and we belong to each other. In fact, I've liked to put it this way, that believing implies belonging. Belonging to Jesus first and foremost, but we can't stop there. We also belong to each other in the church. Belonging has its privileges, doesn't it? Since you belong to Christ, you too are precious, chosen, living stones. What a joy it is to belong to Christ. 
and to know that privilege. And belonging has a purpose, and Peter calls attention to this. God has made us to worship and serve him. And this comes through in Peter's phrase when he says that we are not only living stones, a spiritual building, but we are also a holy priesthood. I'm going to say more about this in the verses that follow, but uh, let me just call your attention to it here, that, uh, that this calls attention to the Old Testament. And think of the priests in the Old Testament. They were called to serve and worship God. Now, all of the tribes of Israel belong to God, but God claimed the Levites and from them the priests to serve him in the tabernacle and the temple. They had a special role in their worship and service. But in Christ, every believer is a priest. This is one of the great doctrines of the Reformation, the priesthood of all believers. And that, that doctrine teaches us that each and every one of you has a God-given gift to offer to him. You have God-given gifts to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus, says Peter. You see, no longer do we offer animal sacrifices. Jesus fulfilled that. He gave the once-for-all sacrifice of himself. And now we offer spiritual sacrifices of ourselves to God. To confirm this, Peter quotes the Old Testament. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. This comes from Isaiah 28. There the prophet said that God would send the Messiah, that he would be the excuse me, the rock of salvation, the chief cornerstone, elect and precious. That's what Peter picks up in his opening words here. Jesus is that rock of salvation. He who believes in him will by no means be put to shame. You see, no matter what the world says about you, no matter how society rejects you or scoffs at you, no matter what you lose in this world, you will never be put to shame in God's eyes. God loves you in Christ. And since God loves you, you will never fall away. That is both the privilege of belonging. It implies then the response of belonging the gratitude that gives worship and service to him, that it belongs to all of us. We are all priests in God's eyes. But to those who are disobedient, Peter gives a warning. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which also they were appointed. Once more, Peter quotes from the Old Testament, first from Psalm 118 and then Isaiah 8. 
And both verses warn that if you reject Jesus, you will perish. Remember the significance of a cornerstone. When building a house in, a, in the period of, of Peter's days, it was the practice to first lay a cornerstone. And the rest of the building then was built connected to that, oriented towards it so that the foundation would sit right and level and firm. Just imagine building a house without a cornerstone. Four different builders starting on each of the corners and hopefully they will meet somewhere in the middle. And you know what that building's going to look like? It's going to look like a Dr. Seuss house. You know, all cockeyed and crazy and coming up over this way and boing, boing, boing. And those houses don't stand. They're just crazy. If you do not accept Christ as the only Savior, your house crumbles. You are under God's judgment. You are appointed to that. Judgment against all unbelief. If you reject that cornerstone, you reject Jesus and you stumble over him. Stumble to your destruction and fall. That is a warning that if you are outside of Christ, that what your future holds is a future of judgment in God's eyes. A forever future of judgment. But in the context of what Peter says here, the invitation is still given. And the invitation is come to Christ. Come to him for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will never be moved. If you are on that firm foundation, then your salvation cannot be taken away. Because it doesn't stand on you. It stands on Christ, on his firm foundation. And that is his invitation, to receive and rest upon Jesus as the rock of your salvation. And I would leave you with that invitation today, to look for ways that he communicates to you that invitation. Look for ways that you understand that you are beloved by God that you are precious to him, even chosen. And look for ways that that is expressed to you individually and for ways that that can be expressed in the body of Jesus Christ, in this congregation. Think of this as your brothers and sisters. Think of how you are united together out of your love for Christ. Love the church as well. Love that spiritual building that God has, has placed you in. A beautiful structure, marred by our own sins, yes, but made beautiful in his sight because of Jesus. You are living stones. 
built on the living stone. Oh God, we come to you as the living stone, admitting our own sin, crying out to you for forgiveness. We do love you for that forgiveness that you have promised to us and that we find in Jesus. I pray that we, you would unite us to yourself, that you would unite us to each other. For as we come to the living stone, we are being built up as living stones, a spiritual house, holy priesthood, chosen and precious to you. God, we, we long for that to be shown and to be our reality more and more in this congregation. We pray these things, not in our own strength, but we pray them in the name of Jesus. Amen. We'll close by singing the psalm that Peter quotes, Psalm 118, Selection E. Jesus is that cornerstone. It is beautiful in our sight to know this and understand it, know that we are united to Christ. We belong to him and belong to each other. Let's stand and sing Psalm 118E.